All right, open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 for just a few minutes. I'm excited to be able to bring the message, but again, pray for Colin as he's out sick this morning. He was tested for COVID and his test came back negative, so we're all thankful for that. Amen. And so 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, and we're going to be looking in verse number 3. I'm reading out for the first time this morning, my daughter got me a Bible for Father's Day. I kept complaining I couldn't see my Bible. And so this is my new Bible. Uh, it looks like the family Bible in, uh, in your living room, I know, but I can see this. And so I'm so excited that I can see the Bible this morning. But 1 Corinthians chapter number three, uh, we're going to be looking at this. It's an amazing scripture. Uh, I'm going to start out by, by talking to you for just a few minutes. Uh, I always wanted... Uh, when I was a little kid, I was infatuated with girls kissing me on the cheek. I was about five or six and I wanted as many kisses on the cheek as I could. And, and Bobby, uh, held me, Bobby Capehart held me when I was a baby, but there was a couple of teenagers that went to Greenwood that would always, uh, kiss me on the cheek. And so I remember being five or six and I'd always seek, seek for them. So I'd get my kiss on the cheek. And when I was in kindergarten, uh, my mother, uh, every morning would kiss me before she got up. She'd get up and go to work before, uh, we did. And I went to school and she'd kiss me on the cheek with lipstick on. She always wore this rosy red lipstick and she'd kiss me on the cheek and I wouldn't tell anybody that it was my mom. And so in kindergarten, all the kids would say, you know, who kissed you? And I'd be like, I'm not telling you because obviously I didn't want them to know it was my mom. So I finally got my first amazing opportunity to get my first real kiss from somebody that I thought really liked me in first grade. And her, uh, her name was Carrie. I asked my wife if it was okay to have permission to share this story since it was first grade. And so I was so excited about Carrie kissing me on the cheek. On the cheek, it was innocent. I wanted a kiss on the cheek. And Carrie told me, she goes, if you'll meet me in the woods at, at play... <laughs> During recess, I'll kiss you on the cheek. Well, a couple problems with that. I guess it's against the rules to kiss. Uh, number two, Miss Ramage, my first grade teacher, had said that no one can go into the woods. But needless to say, I was going to go into the woods because I'm about to get a kiss. And so I remember that morning, I dressed up. And how do you dress up for a kiss? I don't know. But I wore... I wore a sweater. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I, I wore a sweater. I picked all the lint off of it and I went into the woods and I was excited because that was going to be the day of my first kiss. And I will never forget looking out and finding out that Carrie had told five other boys the same thing. <laughs> so they were, <laughs> they were lined up to get a kiss from Carrie. And I thought I was the only one. I thought I was the special one. And I remember thinking, you know, I, I felt so hurt. So I did what any other boy would do. I ran down the woods, ran back up the woods, and, uh, or up the other side of Miss Ramage. And I said, Miss Ramage, there's some kids in the woods that aren't supposed to be in the woods. <laughs> and so Miss Ramage, Miss Ramage walked over there and to get the the kids out of the woods, she, she started, she said, who's in the woods? And I named all the boys. I named, and I'm like, Carrie, Carrie's out there. And I named all the boys that were out there. And so all the boys, they're, they're come out crying because they know they're in trouble. And the kids start telling on me. And they said, Kenneth was in the woods too. 
And Miss Ramage, I didn't have to say anything. Miss Ramage goes, no, he wasn't. He was standing right beside me. And I remember like, yeah, I was. I was right beside Miss Ramage. They all lost recess for like a week. And if you remember being in elementary school, you know, you had all kinds of rumors that there was an electric paddle at the principal. But one thing that was harsh was losing recess. And Carrie, as she would stand there as she lost recess, I would run by her and tell her how fun it was to be at recess because she hurt me. Now, I was one witness that Miss Ramage believed. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when you have one witness, that person has a skewed sense of what reality is or what the truth is? Sometimes that one witness will make it to where it benefits them. What if you have 500 witnesses that all say the same thing? What if you have 550 witnesses that say the exact same thing? Would it be more believable then? Absolutely. If the whole school had seen me go in to kiss Carrie and I came out and said I wasn't, that would have been believable because of the 500 people that were the witnesses, right? We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 and verse number 3. And, and this scripture, Paul is showing the authentication uh, the authenticity of the word of God saying this is true. So can I proclaim something this morning? This word from Genesis to Revelation is true. This is not a fairy tale. This is not something to make people live good. This is every bit true. Jonah was swallowed by a big fish. You know why? Because the Bible says that he was. This Bible from the very first word to the very last word is true. Let's read in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, number 3 or 15 and verse number 3. It says this, now that I can read the Bible up here. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. How many believe that? Amen. Two of you believe, how many believe that? Amen? Amen. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. We'll go into that more in a minute. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Could we all say that? By the grace of God, I am what I am. I could be on the streets as a, a drug addict or a drunk, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Amen? I deserve that, but because of God's grace, I am what I am. Do I deserve to be up here in front of you? Absolutely not. I'm the most unworthy person that could be preaching to you this morning, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Amen. His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach. And so you believed. I want you to notice the first part of verse number three. It says this for I delivered to you. First of all, that which I also received 
This is a very simple scripture that says that Paul is saying, I did not make up the gospel. Aren't you thankful that Paul did not make up the gospel? Amen. He did not make the gospel up. He says, I delivered you first of all that which I also received. Paul didn't make up the gospel. He received it and then he delivered it. I'm not making up the gospel. I received the gospel when I was 12 years old and now I'm delivering the gospel to you. I didn't make it up. Other preachers didn't make it up. We received it and then we delivered it. Paul believes in what he has received and then he spreads it. How many of you believe in what you have received? Amen. Charles Spurgeon said, we are not makers and inventors. We are repeaters. We tell the message we have received. I want you to turn with me for just a second to Galatians chapter one and verse number 11, where Paul goes into this more so, and you can also read it from up here. It says this, for I would have, you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And we all know that this revelation of Jesus Christ happened in Acts chapter 9 when Jesus appeared to Saul as he was on his way to Damascus to persecute the Christians. Every one of us, including Paul, has a story. Every single one of us has a different story. I remember when I was young, I would listen to other people's stories of where God had brought them and, and I'd almost be jealous, but thank the Lord that God kept me from doing a lot of things because he did save me at a young age. My story in 1990, my two grandfathers died within the same few weeks. I was in seventh grade. I went to church at Greenwood. We were there on a Sunday morning. My uncle came and got us out of the service and said, your grandfather has died. And so that was traumatic for me as a seventh grader. I teach seventh grade. Some people ask me, why do you teach seventh grade? Because seventh grade was what changed my life. And so, uh, and I tell the kids in class, you can either turn to God or away from God when you have bad circumstances in your life. And in seventh grade, my uncle came into Greenwood and got us out of the service and said, your grandfather had died. And that was traumatic in my life. Well, I didn't know that things were going to get worse. So Wednesday night, I begged my parents to go back to church. Uh, I was, uh, uh, I wanted to go back to church on Wednesday night to get away from it all. I went back on Wednesday night and my other uncle came in, uh, and got us out of the service and said, your grandfather has died. And I thought, well, you're, you're, you're three days late, <laughs> but it was my other grandfather. And so in a span of a week, uh, I lost my grandparents, both my grandfathers. And I remember walking up. I had told everybody I was saved when I was six years old. My dad uh, went down to the altar to pray and I went down to pray with him. We have to be careful with what we do with our kids. I went down uh, to pray with him. I was six years old. I went down and I, and I knelt by my father. And uh, a person came up to me and said, do you want to, you want to go to heaven? Now, can I, can I ask you what six year old is going to say? Nah, I, I'd like to go hell. Hell be my place to be. Just, I just think, I just think go there. And so I said, yes, I'd like to go to heaven. He goes, would you, would you like to be saved right now? And 
I want to ask you again, what six-year-old is going to say, no, I don't want to do that. And so I prayed a prayer in front of the entire church. Uh, the pastor at the time got me, stood me up on the, uh, uh, on the altar bench and said, Kenneth just received Jesus Christ as his savior. And the whole church stood up and clapped. But then you know what happened to me later on in my life when God started convicting me? I, I didn't want to admit that I was lost. You know why? Because the pastor had stood me up on the altar bench and said, Kenneth has received Jesus Christ as his savior. So I'm on my way home from my second grandfather's funeral and conviction just overwhelms me. And I'm in a 1984 Nissan Sentra or Datsun. There's some debate on that. I take my seatbelt off or I tell my mother, I said, I, you know, she says, you're going to see grandfather again one day. And I said, that's not the case. I, I'm not going to see him again one day. And my, my mom looked at me and said, well, you can do something about it. So I took my seatbelt off and I knelt down and I accepted Jesus Christ as my savior in a 1984 Nissan or Datsun Sentra. Amen. And I remember being 12 years old. I came back to church that Sunday morning and I've told this story a hundred thousand times, but it's my story. I came back on the Sunday morning and, uh, there was a woman named Alice that used to always shout at church and she would shout every service and the youth and I would, we'd sit back in the back and make fun of her. And, uh, we, we would, we'd sit back there and make fun of the way she worshiped. And, uh, and I remember that Sunday morning, they sang the song, I've never met a president. I've never met a millionaire, but I'm going to be there when God calls my name. And I remember as a 12 year old boy, I stood up and I lifted my hands because I understood what Alice was screaming about. I understood what the excitement was about. Before that moment, I didn't understand. And I made fun of everyone that lifted their hands. I made fun of everyone that shouted. But as soon as I got there as a 12-year-old boy and they started singing, I'll never forget that morning when I stood up. And then the youth, can I tell you, y'all went, they started making fun of me. That's what I get. And I have never been the same. Ever been the same. He put worship and excitement in me, and I've never been the same. My mother was in her 50s. My mother, every morning or every night, I would watch my mother read her Bible before she went to sleep at night. Every single night before I went to bed, my mom was reading her Bible. She made me go to church. In her 50s, Rick Corum was preaching at Greenwood Baptist Church. And my mom stood up and went down to the altar and accepted Jesus Christ as her savior. It is never too late to develop your story. It is never too late. All kinds of, at, at Bagley, we do FCA at Bagley. And what I do with them is I tell them, I want you to write down why you think you should go to heaven. And so they, they write it down. 70% of them, what do you think they put? Because I'm good. Because I do good things. Can I tell you, the Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. That's not your ticket. That's not your ticket. It is never too late to develop your story. Let's go through the, the scriptures as what it says. First, it says, let me give you some evidence first. Let's go through this 
The gospel is not a fairy tale. It's about true historical events that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. First, Old Testament predictions. All throughout the Old Testament, it predicted that Jesus would do just that. You can come back and watch this video and read these scriptures later as I go through this. Psalm 16, 10, Isaiah 53, 4 through 6, Daniel 9, 26 to 27, and many, many other verses predicted that Jesus would do exactly what he did. Can I tell you again, it's not a fairy tale. Amen? The testimony of eyewitnesses that actually saw Christ died, that actually saw Christ as he was risen, actually saw Christ as he ascended to heaven. The, the gospel goes through and says Cephas or Peter, then the other 12 disciples, then more than 500 people. Some, as it says in the scripture, that are alive when Paul writes this and some that had died as Paul was writing this. But they saw it with their own eyes. Then the scripture goes on and says, then singly James, and then all of the apostles, when he was taken up to heaven. That's Luke 24 and 50. Thomas is one of the most fascinating because people, people talk about doubting Thomas uh, and they give him names, but Thomas is kind of like me. It takes me sometimes a little bit of time to believe, doesn't it you? Thomas, one of the most fascinating examples of, of Jesus proving himself when he was here on earth was in John chapter number 20. In verse number 24, it says this. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with, was with them. And although the doors were, were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him and said, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas doubted what Jesus had done and got to see it with his own eyes. May I say again, this is not a fairy tale. This is true. Amen? Let's go through the scripture. First, he died. Do you know that many won't argue the point that Jesus died? You know why? Because he did. Many won't argue the fact uh, that he did die, but the disagreements point to why he died and why he was here. Listen to this. This is part of the seventh grade curriculum. Listen to this. The Muslims believe in Jesus. If you go up to a Muslim and ask them if they believe in Jesus, the answer is yes, they do. But they believe he is a prophet of God. Jews believe in Jesus. Now, I'm talking about the ethnicity of the Jewish faith, Judaism. They believe in Jews, or they believe in Jesus. 
They just don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They don't believe he came to take away the sin of the world. Now, is it possible to be of the Jewish Jewish ethnicity and not believe this? Absolutely. I have several Jewish Christian people that I know. Listen to this. It's a misconception that Jehovah Witnesses don't believe in Jesus. Do you ever have a Jehovah Witness come to your house? Have you ever had a Jehovah Witness come to your house? What will they tell you? They'll say, I believe in Jesus too. But you need to be careful. Do you understand? You need to be careful because they believe that Jesus is a created being. And because they believe he's a created being, they do not believe that he is God himself. They do not believe in the Trinity. They'll tell you that he is God's only begotten son, that Jesus is the son of God, but created by God. What do we know about Jesus? Jesus is God and Jesus has always been. If you take those things away from Jesus, there was no point in him dying for our sin because he wouldn't have been God in the flesh and it wouldn't have done anything for us. So there are a lot of people that believe that Jesus died. Why? Because it's a historical fact. It would be like believing in George Washington. It's easy to believe in George Washington. Why is it easy to believe in George Washington? We've read about it. We know it's a historical fact. So we know that he died. Can some scholar tell me why he died for my sin? He died for our sins. The Bible says this, he died for our sins. He died for my sins. My sin put him on the cross. I want you to know a few things that I want to point out. He did not die for a political cause. He did not die as the enemy of the state. He was not forced to die. He chose to die because he loves you. Because he loved me. Let me go through this quickly. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced. He was bruised for my transgression. He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds... We are healed by his stripes. We are healed because Jesus died. I can have life. He also died because he loves us. To me, this seems the most unbelievable because I sin and I keep failing him constantly. Romans 5, 8 clears that up. But God shows his love for us and that while we are yet sinners, still Christ died for us. As I go through quickly, he was buried. Again, historical with witnesses. John 19, 31 through 37. Matthew 27, 57 through 60. You know why it's important to be buried or to, to go to the tomb? You, you don't go through that process unless you've actually died. So it proves that he died. He rose again using the same scriptures as before. This was attested by hundreds of people. This was not Kenneth telling Miss Ramage that those boys are in the woods and I wasn't. This was hundreds of people that watched it happen. That watched it happen. And then Paul says, I saw it with my own eyes. You know, that's why he's an apostle. Because he witnessed Jesus. 
And it ends in verse number 11 by saying, whether it was me or someone else that preached the gospel to you, you believed it. So can I ask you this this morning? And this is simple scripture, and I know I didn't go through it word for word, but everybody needs a story. Everybody needs to have a story. My dad, before he passed away, we, you know, I I was raised, uh, we we didn't share our emotions with each other very very often. I I don't know if the rest of you were raised that way, but we, we didn't share emotions like now, I, you know, I tell my girls and, and Trey, I love them 170 times, but it was imp- 170 times a day, but it was implied, you know, I knew he loved me. I knew. And, but I wanted to just have a sit down, just me and him and have a conversation. And I said, dad, I want your story. I don't want a yes or a no. I don't want to know that you're saved. You're, uh, you're lost. I want you to tell me your story. And he said, me and my dad went to a revival in Polk County. And he said, and I was sitting at that revival and the conviction came over me. And he said, my dad was under conviction too. And he reached out and grabbed my hand and we went down to the altar and we accepted Jesus Christ together. Everybody needs a story. Will you remember every single thing? You know, no, you may not. You may not remember every single thing, but you know what? Uh, Alex is about to get married 40 years from now. We just celebrated our 22nd anniversary. Today is Dottie and Tim's 40th anniversary. You don't remember everything about your wedding, do you? But you remember getting married. You should remember the process of when you ask Jesus Christ as your savior. I don't want to throw any doubt, but can I share what's on my heart? I worry about kids. I worry big time about kids because I've seen it happen at vacation Bible schools a lot. I've seen it happen every time. If anyone in here wants to be saved, please raise your hand and pray a prayer after me. And so the kids will raise their hand, no conviction in their heart. I even see, I've even seen them playing with one another as they're doing it and they'll say the prayer. And then I believe the church has failed them because we've given them a false sense of security for the rest of their life. You need to know that, you know, that, you know, that, you know, what if there, I'm not trying to put doubt in your mind, but if there is doubt in your mind, there's only one way to fix it. And that's to take care of the doubt this morning. Paul, throughout all of 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, is trying to prove there is a God. Jesus existed. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. We all believe that. Amen? I believe everyone in here believes that. What did Jesus do when he ascended? He said, I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you a comforter. Who is that comforter? The Holy Spirit. When he sent the Holy Spirit, you see, they got to see it. They got to visualize it and watch it happen. You know what I got when I was 12 years old on the way home in a 1984 Nissan Datsun Sentra or whatever? You know what I got? I got that comforter that came down and he said, Kenneth, you need a savior. 
I've never seen Jesus, but I believe him. I can't tell you my life's been perfect since I was 12 because it's not. But I can tell you that my life's been better. I'm so thankful that I accepted Jesus, aren't you? As you stand, Janice comes to play a song on the invitation. I want everyone's eyes shut and your head bowed. I didn't do this this morning to put doubt in your mind, but I am convicted. I'm going to give an invitation. I'm going to ask you a couple questions, then I'm going to step off and let. I'm not going to pressure you because that's what happened to me when I was six. That's no good. And the Holy Spirit needs to be the one to draw you, not Kenneth Keesley. The Holy Spirit needs to draw you, not Colin Cook. I'm going to ask you this. How many could raise their hand and say, without a shadow of a doubt, I know that I know that I know that I am on my way to heaven because I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. You can put your hands down. Let me ask you this. I'm not going to come to you or anything like that, but is there anybody that could say right now, you know, the Holy Spirit is in convicting my heart and I don't. Can anybody be brave enough to raise their hand and say, please pray for me. I need Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm going to say a prayer for you and then I'm going to go and I'm going to give you the opportunity as Janice sings. Also, if you don't mind, I'm going to give you the opportunity to come. Lord, thank you for loving us so much that you died on the cross and we believe it. We know it. We know it's not a fairy tale. We know that this is not some scheme that our ancestors came up with to keep us to being good people. We know that you died on the cross with every intention of saving Kenneth's soul and saving Dave's soul and Dale's soul and Robin's soul. We know you did it for us. But Lord, you gave us free will. It's up to us to accept it. I pray that if someone's lost this morning, I pray that you would convict their heart and they would receive you as their savior. I thank you for everything you're doing, everything you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.